This is KPMG's Investment Management Perspectives Podcast. And this is part two of our episode on how our asset managers preparing for LIBOR. On this episode, we hear from Lauren DeVitas from State Street and Mark Nowakowski and Chris Dias from KPMG. Operationally, uh, Lauren, are asset managers prepared for the transition given uh, you know, the, the different number of paths that... Um, that this can take, and and how are they, you know, how are they going to deal with it? Yes, um, I I think you know for the most part, I would like to say the asset managers are are ready for this, right? They, the pricing vendors be ready, right? Valuation, I I'd like to not say it's going to be a huge issue, right? I mean, I think we have, um, you know, David Bowman head of the Fed in the ARC, you know, has been saying for, what, a year, 18 months, however however long now, um, you know, these calculations can be done now with overnight rates. We don't need the term rate, right? There's things that can be put in place today. However, I don't think the industry will actually do that. So um, I, I think most people are, I, I don't know, I think this is going to come down to the wire for the most part, but I guess we'll see what happens. Great. Mark, uh, any any perspectives just from an industry perspective on operational readiness? Um, you know, where is the industry? Are they ready to move forward? You know, I think they're not ready yet. Uh, yeah, it's a great question. And to, to Lauren's point again, uh, th- there's quite a lot to do. Uh, a, a big part of it does have to do with the number of SOFR variants that we just talked about. Uh, and then asset managers and custodians, uh, they can be caught uh, in the, the middle of this in terms of their reporting responsibilities and other uh, calculations that they need to provide, um, you know, to their to their customers, right? Whether it's valuation that Lauren mentioned, or or margin calculations, um, or or other reporting that might get used in, um, you know, things like debt covenants and so on. So th- there's there's quite a bit, uh, I think, uh, of work there that still needs to be done. And I think the asset managers and um, uh, other uh, parties, I think, are preparing for it. Um, you know, there, there's still a lot of work left, uh, I think. And again, as we mentioned earlier, with things like term rates, um, you know, some of the, uh, the goalposts are still moving around, right? So, um, you know, it, it's hard to uh, finalize things like data sources, um, you know, when, when some of those things aren't being published yet. Yeah, uh, both of you have mentioned uh, um, a number of times, uh, you know, the importance of uh, third-party vendors and um, the impact they'll have on um, system readiness for, you know, asset managers in the industry uh, more largely. Um, any suggestions uh, for the audience as to how to best prepare for transition in the context of uh, third-party system providers? You know, what what, um, uh, you know, this audience should be looking at uh, in terms of making sure that, uh, you know, their third parties are ready for the transition. Lauren, why don't you um, start here, and then maybe, Mark, you can uh, chime in. Sure, definitely. Um, A few points to make here. So it's funny. I feel like we have been saying this, and obviously those of us who have been close to this for a while now, but, right, put your trades through 
on the new rates, like make sure the new alternative rates work right to the extent you can, make the trades, you know, complicated and put through volume. Like volume is the number one key thing I would try and probably emphasize here. Um, I know it's top of mind for everyone and it's everyone's concern because we've seen lower volumes, but we haven't seen that uptick or the increase really to make sure that systems can process all these, right? So put, you know, put a trade through the system and it's going to show you what's broken, what's not working, what the downstream impacts are um, there. And then also, um, in conjunction with that, I would just say communication with your vendors too, right? Ask a lot of a lot of detailed questions, right? So not just of your providers, but then also join industry groups, making sure you're communicating, you know, with your peers on this. Um, there are excellent ones out there. I chair the ICI LIBOR transition working group. Um, there's a lot of good. We just had an excellent discussion this past month about what accounting vendors are doing. Um, and the last thing I'll say too is be cognizant of fourth-party providers, right? So if you, as an asset manager, outsources, you know, what is that vendor? Who are they outsourcing to? Because I know we always say it's a, you know, the whole transition is only as strong as the weakest link. If one person is delayed or one vendor is delayed in this transition, it can really put a ripple effect through the industry. Mark, any other um, comments on third parties, third party vendors? Sure. Well, Lauren uh, took the, my one word answer, which is communication uh, on that front. Um, I think for the larger vendors, obviously this is on their radar. Um, I think the, the word of caution there is because they're larger, they're, they're probably going to be less able to respond to internal deadlines. They're, they're working on their own timetables. Uh, they often have phased releases. Um, so it, it's important to understand exactly what will be ready when. I think for maybe some of the smaller vendors, uh, this might um, not be um, as much on their radar in the level of detail that it needs to be. So uh, again, on the communication side, you need to be able to explain exactly what's going to be needed uh, and when. Um, maybe the benefit there is some of the, the smaller vendors might be more responsive. Just a, just a follow-up to that, Mark, just in terms of communication. Oh. What, um, what do we need to make sure vendors are ready for uh, in the near future? Is it, is it calculations? Is it processing? Um, and, you know, where do you think they are in terms of readiness? Yeah, it's, it's both of those things. I think primarily it's, it's being able to uh, calculate uh, the different uh, variants of SOFR uh, in all of their uh, details. Uh, I think that that's been one of the, the challenges in some of the uh, the vendors. Um, but then they have tend to have knock-on effects, um, especially for asset managers that might be part of bank holding companies. A lot of times, those uh, systems are classified as, as models and have their own governance and testing that needs to be gone through. You know, within um, you know the the asset management firm. So uh, all of that needs to be factored into the timelines to make sure the milestones get hit. Great. Thanks, Mark. Lauren, you talked earlier that uh, contracts uh, have been uh, a challenging issue. Um, I can imagine just, uh, you know, based on the volume of contracts, uh, the date availability, uh, you know, having to deal with amendments, and then, you know, really trying to understand what are the critical uh, pieces of information uh, required from those contracts. Um, how are how are the how is the asset management uh, community dealing with such a uh, 
what seems to be a massive, massive issue. It is a massive issue, but for sure, you know, I'd say probably one of one of the biggest challenges of this transition. Um, I'm seeing a couple different things here. So, right, um, if you're a larger asset manager, some do have an electronic contract management system, right? Something that you can use AI or something along those lines. Um, that it's then air quoting a fairly easy, um, you know, initial scrape to see what you need to address in contracts. And we did, you know, we have a electronic contract management system at State Street, so we did a similar process. But if you if you don't have your contracts electronically, right, just even that initial scrape to find um, where LIBOR is in your contracts is quite the undertaking, um, right? And so once you're even after you get that population together, then it's trying to, like you said, deal with the amendments and fallback language and all those other things. And right, um, as we see some products in the have industry groups supporting them or pushing for them, right, like ISDA, um, right, coming out with the protocol, whereas other products don't have industry groups. So which makes it a little messier there if they're trying to go at it on their own per se. Thanks, Lauren. Um, Mark, you've uh, dealt with this uh, with a number of your clients. Um, what are some of the biggest challenges uh, and how are your clients dealing with them? Right, really understanding what is in that fallback language um, and where it's not adequate, um, being able to, to amend it um, so that then you understand exactly what's going to happen in 2022 for, for the legacy LIBOR uh, contract is, is a real challenge. Uh, as Lauren said, there are AI solutions, including uh, KPMG's own solution that, that can address that. Uh, in particular, for asset managers, I think one of the challenges is you can get a look at what's in the portfolios right now, but that's not going to be what's actually uh, in the portfolios, um, you know, a month from now, much less uh, six months or a year from now. Uh, so that turnover question and, and understanding the, the inventory um, is one of the, the additional um, hurdles, I think, is to, to really be able to update uh, that inventory and then know what's going to be, um, you know, the, the exposure uh, when it actually matters. So there, there's a certain amount of preparation that can be done now, um, but it's also something that's going to have to be uh, repeated and kept up to date. Uh, I guess the, the bright side of it, you know, the silver lining is these contracts are going to be uh, updated, um, you know, as the the next um, year or so goes on. So presumably, right, a year from now, uh, a lot of the contracts will have the, the necessary language. Uh, but there's still going to be some that, that aren't standard, um, you know, some where the clients don't agree, um, you know, to, to the changes. So th there is going to be, I think, uh, a little bit of a hodgepodge, um, you know, in terms of what actually happened in 2022. Great. Thanks, Mark. Um, I would imagine that, uh, you know, client communication um, is, is critical for, for this transition. Uh, clients are probably wondering, uh, you know what to what they should expect from the transition. Mark, um, from a client perspective, what are you uh, seeing in terms of communications to clients? Um, it, you know, to help them with the transition. I'm sure they have a lot of questions and uh, concerns about uh, transitioning to LIBOR or transitioning away from LIBOR. Um, what uh, types of uh, information is being shared with clients. 
Yeah, we are seeing uh, information start to come out. Um, the communication, I think, uh, that a lot of companies have, um, especially in financial services, is being rolled out you know, uh, on their uh, web pages so it's accessible. Um, and I think I would say initial client outreach uh, has started to occur. Um, but again, the, the transition um, you know, and the first SOFR loan products right, to customers really haven't made their way out to the marketplace yet. Uh, I think that's something that is going to start to occur um, over the next three or four months, the remainder of 2020. And again, as I said earlier, really accelerate um, in 2021. So there's, uh, you know, I think there's been um, queries put out by some of the banks to see what kind of loan uh, the customers would want and what kind of rates they'd be interested in. Uh, but I think, um, you know, that's going to continue. Uh, as far as the fallback language as well, where loans might need to be uh, or contracts may need to be amended, uh, again, I think that's also in its initial stages of client outreach, uh, but the, the actual uh, amending, I think, is, has only started to, to occur, and I think that's going to continue, you know, over the next 6 to 12 months. Great. Thanks. Well, we're about at, at time. Um, a lot of great information uh, from Matt, uh, Lauren, and Mark. Um, you know, some of the key takeaways uh, that uh, I think was conveyed throughout this uh, discussion, um, you know, it's, it's critically important to have uh, board and audit committee uh, involvement. Um, it's uh, also key to have plans and action steps um, uh, at the ready um, and have them, uh, you know, uh, prepared uh, in such a way to meet regulatory expectations. Matt talked about, uh, you know, making sure that you avoid uh, conflicts of interest. Um, you know, the whole conduct risk uh, issue is, is still a, a big uh, challenge for the industry uh, as a whole. Um, you know, I think one of the uh, major themes uh, throughout this discussion has been on communication, um, you know, whether that's uh, with your vendors or with your clients. Um, and, uh, you know, lastly, when you're thinking about operational readiness, uh, you know, make sure you uh, kick the tires and, and test those systems um, using a number of different scenarios uh, to ensure that um, you're not going to have a mis mishap when, uh, when, when LIBOR does finally go away. Um, I want to thank Lauren, Mark, and Matt for their participation, and uh, thank you to all the listeners for uh, joining us today. Please subscribe to the KPMG Investment Management Perspectives podcast on Apple or Google to learn more about how LIBOR is impacting asset managers. Thank you, everybody. Thank you for listening to KPMG's Investment Management Perspectives podcast. If you haven't listened yet, part one of this conversation is currently available in whichever podcast app you're listening to this episode. For more information, go to listen.kpmg.us slash imperspectives. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast series to be notified of new episodes.